Hi, I'm Michael Stiddle. And I'm Nick Nanos. Uh, Nick, I must say you're looking uh, well-rested uh, after the election. I mean, what, what, what have you been up to in the last week? What do pollsters do after the election? Well, you know, I made some uh, yogurt from scratch. Oh, wow. I took, took a nap. <laughs> and started to normalize my life. How's that? Because uh, the, nice. the election's exciting, but it's pretty high intensity. Is is making your own yogurt? That's like making your own sourdough, uh, sourdough bread, like that pandemic trend early on. I, I need to check that out. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Uh, so uh, going into the final weekend on the on the eve of the election, uh, you released your final uh, nightly tracking, and, and then Canadians headed to headed to the polls. Uh, and, and what's the comparison? How, how did you do as a pollster? How did Canada's pollsters do? Well, first of all, the industry as a whole did quite well in this election. The majority of the pollsters showed a very tight race. And that's exactly what we got. The nano CTV globe uh, tracking ended up being quite accurate as it has been in the past. So we're quite satisfied. I guess, uh, Michael, we keep going. Mm-hmm. I didn't get fired. Yeah. How's that? Didn't get that's fired. That's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, so uh, the fact of the matter is, is that uh, the polling showed a very tight race uh, between the Conservatives and the Liberals. It was within the margin of error, and there was only a 1% delta in terms of the, of, uh, the difference in the results and, uh, and between the two parties. So, yeah, so a good election call all the way around, not just for my team, but also for the industry writ large. Yeah, you can breathe a sigh of relief. I know, I know, it's a stressful night, but uh, but good, good stuff. Uh, now uh, it seems like we've gone back to where we were before after after that uh, thirty six day uh, election. Uh, the Conservatives and the Liberals pretty much in a statistical tie, but because of I believe voter efficiency, uh, the Liberals once again came out on top. Yeah, we talked about that in, in a number of our previous podcasts, the structure of the vote and how it favors or has favored recently the Liberals. And, you know, to put this into context, the Liberals got 32.6% support nationally, but they got 47% of all the ridings. This compares to the Conservatives, who had 33.7% of the votes cast nationally, but got 35 So you can see the Conservatives about efficient, as their votes, they convert basically into the same number of uh, ridings. Hmm. But the Liberals, a 15% bump when it comes to converting votes into seats. And that's what propels them into the driver's seat when it comes to the number of seats held in the House of Commons. And I think this is, this is where the conservative strategists have to figure this out. They've got to be a little more efficient. And for the Liberals, they, you know, for them to try to do better, they've got to see if they can squeeze squeeze a little more lemon juice in order to make lem- political lemonade, so to speak. Mm. Uh, now, I mean, there is, there's a lot of lemons to go around. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't think many people got what they wanted out of this election, uh, Nick. So, so why don't we go party by party and just look at the fallout, uh, beginning with uh, the Liberals? You know, well, for the Liberals, uh, they were the government going into this. They had a significant advantage in July. It looked like they had a chance to win a majority uh, mandate. And basically that was uh, thrown out the door. They still came close by winning 47% of all the seats. But you know, the fact of the matter is they triggered the election. They were not defeated in the House of Commons uh, and, uh, and they were not able to win a majority. I think for a lot of Canadians that watched the late night election results and they heard Justin Trudeau talk about him saying that this was a mandate to continue as is, 
I think uh, I can I can say empirically that 68% of Canadians were yelling at their television set hmm. because uh, the fact of the matter is, is that almost seven out of every 10 Canadians voted against this government, which has a mandate. Maybe this election should have been a bit of a wake up call. Uh, and I'm not sure many voters were expecting a full steam ahead that perhaps a message received Canada hmm. might have been a little better uh, for Justin Trudeau to say that he's received the message, that he's going to continue with the liberal strategy, but that it might not be as full on as it was before. So, uh, so how about this? You know, seven out of every ten Canadians angry at the outcome, and uh, and the Liberals at least not acknowledging that perhaps they should be moderating some of their policies. Mm. Uh, how about the Conservatives now? This is the first federal election with their new leader, uh, Aaron O'Toole, and. You know, obviously, they, they hope to defeat the Liberals. That didn't happen. Uh, what, what's the fallout for them? Well, uh, it's a bit mixed because the most dramatic trend line in this federal election had to do with Aaron O'Toole's numbers on the preferred prime minister front. He was like in, at around 17, 18% going into the election. He basically increased it by almost uh, or, or 10 percentage points or thereabouts. So his brand was actually the biggest winner in, in hmm. this election. But uh, they were not able to win a minority government. So a bit of a disappointment, I'm sure, for the Conservatives who wanted to try to unseat the, the Liberals. But the Conservatives have to acknowledge that Aaron O'Toole's brand is much stronger coming out of this election than it was going into this election. And it'll be interesting to see for those Conservatives that were perhaps disappointed or angry that uh, Aaron O'Toole veered a little more towards the centre uh, it'll be interesting to see how he manages caucus, mm -hmm. very, very Western based and very, uh, very socially uh, conservative, how the caucus reacts to uh, to his leadership, because it will be uh, it will be a, a, a point of discussion as to not just how he did in the election, but uh, what his future leadership prospects are. Uh, and now NDP leader Jagmeet Singh, um, also, you know, his, his personal brand, a very likable leader, but, but the party just seemed to uh, not get anywhere in, in, in this election. Yeah, well, you know, the thing is for, for Jagmeet Singh, he had a, a strong brand coming in and a strong brand coming out. No big gain, uh, but no big loss. Mm -hmm. So he's basically in a bit of a holding pattern. But, you know, the good news is, is that the New Democrats are of the three major parties are the least likely to eat their young in terms of their leader and to give the leader more time uh, to try to make that uh, breakthrough and try to advance. Jack Layton was a case in point. He had a lot of runway before he made his big breakthrough and that paid off for the New Democrats. So not too bad for uh, Jagmeet Singh. Uh, he performed well during the campaign. He was steady. He was also, I think, true to what many Canadians uh, would expect from the New Democrats from a policy perspective. Um, we, we can talk about the, the block, uh, in, in a bit, Nick, but I want to really get to one of the, the big headlines, uh, in, in the previous week, which is, uh, Annamie Paul and, and, and the Green Party and, and her resignation. Uh, so what, what happened with the Green Party? What, what's the fallout there? Well, I, I think this was probably one of the biggest missed opportunities for the Green Party and the environmental movement in Canada in recent memory. I think people, people are ready to talk about the environment. I think many Canadians uh, were intrigued by Annamie Paul as the new leader of the Green Party of Canada. 
and the environment is, is on the agenda. I'm not sure what else the Green Party could ask for. There are wildfires in British Columbia. People are worried about climate change and they've got a new leader and, there's, uh, and, and this could have been a big opportunity, but the Green Party took a significant step back. And I think we need to say basically from what we've heard from Annamie Paul, she wasn't stabbed in the back. She was stabbed in the front by her own governing council and her own party. Mm. You know, to, to be told on the day that the election's called that there could be a, an election review to cut off all the funding was really, I would say, unprecedented, I think, in Canadian political history for any major political party. Like, usually parties wait for a leader to perform to see how the leader does, and then they stab them either mm. the back or the front. In this yeah. particular case, Annamie Paul didn't have a chance to, to prove uh, herself to Canadians or to kind of uh, disprove some of, the, some of the pessimism within her own party. And, uh, and, and as a result, not only did she have a disappointing run in her own riding, uh, but the, the National Party was dealt a significant setback when it comes to popular support. I, it seems, Nick, that, that, that the, the damage to the Green Party could, could go on for years. Uh, I mean, this is, you know, this is this infighting to make it so public and, and to kind of hamstrung, hamstrung your leader going into an election just, just seems sort of uh, bizarre. Yeah. And, you know, but I think is, Michael, these things are I'm sure there's more things that people don't know about. But uh, I think the, the blame can, should be spread. Uh, it's not just enemy Paul's fault. It's not just the governing council's fault. I think it's a combination of both. She's now stepped down. And uh, I think for anyone that believes in the Green Party and the Green Party's future, the Green Party Council should be blown up and should and, and they should just start over again mm. with a new clean slate in order to, to rebuild the party in terms of confidence and re-engaging Canadians. Mm. Uh, now, you know, all, all the major parties were heavily campaigning in Quebec. Obviously, you need Quebec support if you have any hope whatsoever of, of getting a majority. Um, how did Bloc Quebec leader uh, Yves uh, Francois Blanchet do? Well, he was the spoiler in this election because the Liberals wanted to pick up some seats from the Bloc Québécois. They weren't able to do that. And uh, it all happened because of stuff that occurred in the English language debates, mm -hmm. controversial question related to Bill 21, which is the religious uh, the religious symbols, the ban for public sector employees. Mm -hmm. And that basically galvanized uh, Quebec voters, put wind in the sails of the Bloc Québécois, and they were able to hold on to what they had. You know, the ironic twist, Michael, is that the Bloc does well whenever something outside of Quebec happens mm -hmm. uh, to motivate Quebec voters. This happened again in this election. And Blanchette, as a result, was able to uh, block the Liberals, no pun intended, from forming a majority, <laughs> but also to hold on to uh, hold on to su his support for a second election. Mm. Uh, now, finally, uh, the People's Party of Canada, another uh, big news story for this election. Uh, you know, I, I, I think they did uh, better than than a lot of people expected. Uh, and uh, you suggested, Nick, that they may have. Uh, been a spoiler for the Conservatives in, in, in a few ridings. Did, did that uh, happen? Yeah, actually, they were in, a, in a, a number of ridings. If you took the People's Party support and added it to the Conservatives, it would have put them over the top in a number of ridings. It would have made the Conservatives much more competitive. And, uh, you know, the thing is, is for Maxime Bernier, like the guy didn't even show up to his own riding 
on mm. election night. So he obviously knew that he wasn't going to win. Uh, but, you know, the fact of the matter is getting 5% of the support is significant. He actually came ahead of the Green Party that has members in the House of Commons. Mm. And the big question is, what is he going to do? So I think uh, Maxime Bernier is basically on a mission to disrupt, to, to disrupt the main line parties, to be a protest movement. And, you know, the thing is, is what we saw, at least in this election, was the People's Party emerge as an alternative, uh, as a protest to people that are unhappy with the mainstream parties, people who don't like big government, who are concerned about some, uh, some of the vaccination rules. And mm -hmm. it was a bit of a protest popular front. It'll be interesting to see whether he can, uh, he can feed that fire to continue to be a player in the, uh, in the Canadian political environment. Mm -hmm. So uh, of the major uh, parties, Nick, I, I guess nobody really got what they wanted. Um, what about the Canadian voter? Yeah, well, they didn't get what they wanted either. Actually, what they <laughs> wanted was not an election. Mm. And, you know, basically we had a result that is very similar uh, to, the, to the previous election. So how about this? A $600 million. That was an expensive cabinet shuffle because oh, we've yeah. got the same government. It'll probably look the same. We'll want to do the same stuff. Mm. And... Here's a question, Michael. If the Liberals thought that the last parliament was toxic and unworkable, well, what have Canadians done? It'd be like, back at you. Here's the <laughs> same thing. Try to make it work. Mm -hmm. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how the Liberals manage this parliament, which will be eerily similar to the previous parliament. Uh, and at the top of their agenda, obviously, is the ongoing pandemic. But uh, but the economy, the Canadian economy uh, as an issue, uh, obviously it's, 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 you know, gaining in, in prominence as the world's economy tries to recover. Uh, so you have some, uh, some in interesting uh, surveys on, on how yeah. Canadians feel. Yeah. The, you know, the thing is, is that, you know, in our, in our weekly Bloomberg nanos tracking on consumer confidence, when we ask Canadians whether the economy will get stronger or weaker, about 29% of Canadians believe that the economy will get stronger. That's down about eight full percentage points. Wow. Uh, about 30% think that it's going to be weaker. So about just as many people, and that's up five points. The rest say that there's going to be no change. But the key takeaway on the, on the economy is that there's, uh, people are less optimistic about where it's going to be in six months. The other interesting thing, Michael, when you're talking about the longer-term trends on the issues, is that now... Coronavirus and the environment are in a dead heat for the top national issue of concern at around 16% mm. each, followed by healthcare, jobs, and then the deficit. So, you know, the thing is, is that people are less worried about the coronavirus than they have been in quite a long time, mm. but they're now more concerned about the economy in the next six months. So storm clouds on the horizon when it comes to pocketbook issues. It'll be interesting to see how this parliament deals with the transition from stimulus to less stimulus. Wow. Uh, Nick, as always, thanks very much. Thanks. It was great. And uh, where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter at Nick, N-I-K-Nanos, or go to www.nanos.co. And I'm also on Twitter at Michael Siddle. You can find uh, more information about everything that Nick and I have discussed in this episode at ctvnews.ca. Thanks very much for listening.